no! There's a Jedi contacting you. Says his name is... Kenobi. Kenobi? <laughs> My aren't we popular today. Put him through! Go, go, go! Greetings, Hondo. Greetings? What kind of menace have you brought to my planet now? First, you lose this system, and Grievous comes in and destroys my entire stronghold, leaving me here to just ravage through the leftovers of my once great empire. And now, these two horned men show up. Who are these horny-headed maniacs? They don't seem like normal Jedi. Not Jedi, Hondo. Sith. We track them here. They just threatened to attack with a group of my men. My own men! Yes, we are looking at them right now. A cargo vessel in three of your starships. They're heading towards you, Hondo. More to the point. Are you going to help me when you get here? There's nothing we can do about your men, but we can certainly do something about the Sith. Good. I'll deal with my men. You deal with those tattooed crazies. Right. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Puto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the Clone Army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to Send in the Clones! In this episode... Newly reunited brothers Darth Maul and Savage Opress launch a plot to forcibly recruit the pirates under Hondo and Naka. Obi-Wan and Adi Gallia join in the scrap, but find that Hondo and his band of brigands are up to the challenge. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho. I'm a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship, he's a Clone Wars veteran on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars. He's the Obi-Wan to my Hondo. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. You know, I had to think about that one, Robbie, because I know how much you love Hondo. I was thinking, well, I should make Robbie Hondo in this combination, but <laughs> Obi-Wan's your favorite character, so obviously you were going to be Obi-Wan, right? It had to be. It's weird, though. The Obi-Wan thing, I love Obi-Wan, but this time through, I kind of feel like Ahsoka is, she may be taking over as my favorite character. Interesting. Yeah, going to be cool. We'll get to the end of the season and we'll do like an overview and maybe we'll revisit. Is Obi-Wan still Robbie's favorite character at the end? So there's a little bit of a billboarding for a future episode, troops. Oof. But today, in this episode, we're going to talk about the 101st episode in the StarWars.com, Clone Wars Chronology, written by Chris Collins, who also wrote the four-episode story of Steeler and Saw and the battle to restore King Dendup on Onderon. And this is directed by Stuart Lee, who, of course, also has directed a ton of episodes across all five seasons, including Massacre, which at this point is still my second favorite episode. And this one is season five, episode one, Revival. So, Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about what these deadly Dathomirian brothers got up to in Revival before you rewatched it again this week? I only remembered glimpses, and I think it's because those of you who have seen this arc before, there are things that you remember. And I don't want to get into it because we haven't gotten into those episodes yet. But this is the beginning of Maul planning and doing his thing. And what I did remember about this more than anything was Hondo. <laughs> right. Even though this is a very Maul-centric episode, man, Hondo is He's a lot of fun in this episode. He's on top form, yep. And it's an interesting thing to see 
Maul and Savage being overpowered. And I think that's the thing that I remembered the most is that they are definitely formidable foes, but they are not invincible. And this episode definitely shows that. And it's one of the things that I remember the most about it. And of course, we see in the introduction that Maul and Savage are rampaging across the galaxy and killing Jedi and non-Jedi alike. We see that right in the introduction before we actually get into the story of this episode. So, you know, while they're not invincible, they're doing a lot of damage out there, including killing Jedi. And we meet them again on the Cyblock space station, which is patrolled by some pretty handy looking security droids, Robbie. They seem almost like commando droids, but working for the good guys, I guess. But they have a really bad day because they get in Maul and Savage's way and then it's time for Savage and Maul to get in each other's way because Savage wants equal billing but Maul wants to be top dog and so as soon as this little conversation starts you know about three minutes into season (laughs) five in terms of the release order fans of the show were getting to see these Dathomirian brothers throwing down after the previous season finished you know with a very Savage and Maul centric storyline fans of the show were getting these Dathomirian brothers throwing down only three minutes into season five Robbie but then about three minutes and four seconds into season five fans of the show were getting Savage saying somewhat ruefully you've grown so powerful to his brother while his head is clamped to the floor under his brother's metallic claw foot and while the end of his brother's lightsaber hovers inches from his face so how were you feeling about this very early and very fast moment of reckoning between these two deadly brothers well i like it i mean it's it is a bit rushed you know and it seems a bit convenient in a way that wow it's like bam 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 i mean we're really moving fast story-wise you know or plot-wise here you know but I really, I mean, I can't help but like it, you know, and I can't help but love Sam Witwer's delivery. Like, it's almost like he knew it was coming and he's almost sad. His delivery has a, like a sadness to it. He's like, well, I guess this is your first lesson. You know what I mean? It's just like, (laughs) it's just the way he delivers it is so cool. And I mean, we're learning so much about Maul, you know, and where Maul's headspace is. But there's so much to take in here. It's almost too much. But it works. I think it works pretty well. Yeah, I thought it was a great way to kick off the episode. And before long, Obi-Wan and Adi Galea are on the scene being led around and briefed on the situation by a snaggletooth warehouse supervisor <laughs> called Merlimore Snug, his name is. And I loved his voice, Robbie. He's played here by Jim Cummings, who also does Hondo. And what would you say his accent is, Robbie? The one that he reminded me of was Jeff Bridges in Hell or High Water. I know you've seen that movie. Yep. And he was playing a Texas Ranger in that movie. And you know a lot about Texas accents. So was this a Texas thing Jim Cummings is doing here? What do, you, what do you think he's doing here? Yeah, it's really thick, though. But it sounds like somebody that you run into, you know, here in Texas. Right. Every now and then you'll run across somebody that just has that really, really sharp point. I mean, I live in a pretty metropolitan area. Sure. I mean, I'm in a suburb, but there's a lot of big companies around here. So you get people from all over. But if you drive out 30, 45 minutes, go into a convenience store, say, and talk to the guy running the counter, you're going to hear somebody like this. So I felt it was really, really effective. I mean, I don't exactly get it, you know, like like that's not the voice I was expecting to come out of this <laughs> Snaggletooth character, but I really enjoyed it. And it was very accurate to what he's trying to bring up. I mean, it definitely has a Texas accent for sure. Yeah, I've said it before that I love pretty much all of the various Southern accents in the United States. So I really enjoyed listening to this guy give Obi-Wan and Adi Galea the rundown. And another accent I'm a fan of, Robbie, that's Hondo. And so when Maul and Savage go on a recruiting drive towards Florham, you know, we know what Florham means as soon as they say the word. 
And before you know it, Morland Savage have essentially declared war on Hondo Anaka, who manages to get in a typically Hondo line. When Maul points out that some of Hondo's pirates have already defected, Hondo says, Traitors! Scum! I'm so proud. I mean, <laughs> I wish I could do a Hondo impression out of all the impressions because his accent is so great and his lines are so great. And after forming an alliance of sorts with Obi-Wan, kind of the old, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend deal, before you know it, Hondo is under attack from his own flying saucers, although he doesn't seem too perturbed by their shooting skills because he's standing completely out in the open as they strafe the heck out of what's left of his compound in the wake of Grievous's visit, you know, when Hondo was making friends with Ahsoka and the Padawans in the last episode and Grievous gave him a real hard time, but I just love that Hondo was just standing out there completely in the open while he got strafed, completely fearless. Yeah, he's almost like... I don't even know how to explain it. I mean, you could say he's just flippant. You could say he's he's just not scared of anything. I just, I, I, there's something about the character that it's an element of his character that I just really like because he's just so different than any character that we have. I mean, you would think that for someone like him who's been shown in the past to very quickly, you know, change allegiances, it makes you think that he's going to go with the strongest character and he's going to, it almost gives you the impression that he's a weak character. But he's definitely not a weak character. But the way that he stands there with all these explosions around him, I don't even know how to explain that kind of behavior. Because <laughs> it's just, it's a strange element to his character, but something that's really, really a lot of fun. It sure is, Robbie, but less fun, and this next bit is the hardest part of the episode to talk about. Adi Galea gets her introduction to the Zabrak brothers when she and Obi-Wan arrive during Maul's assault on Hondo's lair. And in that moment, I was racking my brain to try to remember if Adi Galea is in Revenge of the Sith. Do we see Adi Galea in Revenge of the Sith? That's what I was asking myself, and I couldn't think of seeing her in that Order 66 sequence, you know, which is sad enough as it is. I mean, you can imagine the stress when you're going, I hope Adi Galea got killed in Order 66, you know, because that means she's going to survive this. That's how much peril it felt like she was in when she and Obi-Wan took on Savage and Maul, you know, because we saw the last time Obi-Wan tried to take on the brothers with Ventress at her side, and Ventress is super skilled. We've seen Ventress basically fight off Anakin and Obi-Wan together before, and so the fact that Savage and Maul were able to do what they did to Obi-Wan and Ventress, you know that these guys are not to be messed with. We see them killing Jedi in the opening, and I couldn't remember if Adi Galea was in Revenge of the Sith, and then before long I got my answer, and Adi Galea tries to kick Savage's knee but has no effect, and then she gets force-thrown into the side of a piece of machinery, and then Savage charges, and then before Obi-Wan's eyes, Savage drives his blade through Adi Galea's back, and we've got another Jedi down, Robbie. Well, let's be accurate here, right? Because it's not just the lightsaber in the back. He rams her with his horns yeah i mean we had not seen that before right i mean that's new but it's one of those things that when you watch it the first time it's not necessarily obvious because of you know this being a show for a junior audience they don't show the wounds right from the horns you know so it just looks like he's kind of rugby tackled her into the fuselage or whatever she's leaning up against and basically winded her or you know maybe crushed her ribs at worst but then you watch it again and it's a headbutt and when you get headbutted by a zabrak that's pretty much the worst thing to get hit by the boy. Well, doesn't he, like, impale her? Yeah. Right? It's just not obvious the first time because there's no blood, you know, there's no wounds. And so it just looks like right. she got winded. And because you hear even, like, a crack sound. So it sounds like she's winded and her ribs are cracked. But then you watch it again and go, oh, wait a minute. He went in with the horns. Yeah, that's vicious. Yeah, terrifying and horrific. I mean, it, it kind of points to that, you know, he's this savage oppress, 
right? <laughs> but uh, he's just vicious and animalistic. Yeah, right. And I think that's the thing that Maul has always been compared to, like a tiger, you know? They have this animalistic way about them that is just, it's scary. And Obi-Wan, you can see the pain in Obi-Wan's face when he sees that. Yeah. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. And of course, there's no time to mourn because the attack is ongoing and Hondo motions to Obi-Wan, calls to Obi-Wan, you know, come on, we've got to retreat into these tunnels. And then when Obi-Wan arrives at Hondo's position in the tunnels, Hondo asks, where is the other Jedi? And that's when Obi-Wan has to let Hondo know that the other Jedi is dead. And Hondo's eyes open wide in disbelief. They are too powerful, even for you. I am semi-speechless and I've just done a terrible job at selling it but that way that Hondo you know it takes him aback he's like holy moly even you Jedi can't handle these two guys and of course you know because it's Hondo it has to have I am semi-speechless it's like this comment that has to make on himself because he's never speechless because he's Hondo and then of course we get another sweet line from him after they you know they're still (laughs) on the movie they can't stand around and talk about it so Obi-Wan tells Hondo that he'll draw the brothers away and that when he does then Hondo should blast the passage closed and Hondo responds and leave you alone with those two crazies and then he thinks about it for a second says yeah okay (laughs) and that's that's Hondo being Hondo Robbie and we always love Hondo being Hondo oh yeah that's my uh, all of his lines his big lines I wrote down because I loved him so much and that's one of them it's the well okay (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so funny. Uh, yeah, he's sort of taken aback by Obi-Wan's bravery for a second. He's like, well, after he killed another Jedi, you still want to be alone with them? Yeah. And you know, he's sort of taken aback by it, and he's sort of concerned, like, I don't know if I should let that happen to you. And then he remembers that he's Hondo. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> yeah. You go with yeah. them, and we get cut off from them? Yeah, sure. Uh, They're your problem. And then, of course, when that plan goes into effect, we get dual-wielding Obi-Wan, taking on both brothers at once. And it is awesome, an awesome, awesome fight. And Obi-Wan is doing awesomely. And one thing I'm sure you also noticed is that Obi-Wan is throwing a lot of low kicks at Savage. Obi-Wan is really tenderizing Savage's knee in particular. The same knee that Adi Galea had tried to take out earlier. And I'm sure the troopers don't need to hear again about how, as well as being big Star Wars fans, you and I also watch quite a lot of MMA and can probably think of a fight or three that hinged on a very similar strategy but eventually Maul remembers that he's a Sith and he force throws Obi-Wan at the wall but then when Maul and Savage go at Obi-Wan Obi-Wan notices that Savage's leg is there again open for a kick again and Obi-Wan stomps the ever-living heck out of Savage's knee and for a second Savage is probably thinking oh my knee I don't know if anything could hurt worse than my erect knee feels right now But he's only thinking that for about one second, Robbie, because about one second after Obi-Wan destroys every tendon and every ligament in Savage's knee, Savage is on the floor and Savage's left arm is also laying on the floor. But Savage's arm is laying on a different part of the floor than Savage's. And there is green smoke rising from Savage's arm, from where it used to be attached to Savage. And when Savage's brother force throws Obi-Wan down the corridor and then cuts him off by pulling down the ceiling, we can see that the green smoke, the smoke that's the color of Mother Talzin's magic, of course, is also rising from Savage, from his shoulder, from the point at which Savage's arm used to be attached to Savage. But that's now on the floor. What a fire, Robbie. <laughs> yeah. He needs to leave the arm behind, so who knows what happens to that. I'm sure some critter found it and maybe had a nice meal out of it, but this whole fight was amazing to me. Oh, yeah. I feel like it was a reminder. I mean, yeah, it's a 
beautifully choreographed scene and it's fun and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's, again, it's one of those things that I keep thinking about the way that they're building story and they're building character and all that kind of stuff. This is a reminder that even though Maul and Savage are top-notch adversaries, that Obi-Wan is up to the challenge and that Obi-Wan is one of the best, if not the best, Jedi when it comes to, you know, dueling the Sith. And especially dueling Maul. I mean, he's just amazing. It's one of those scenes where it's so good that, like, how can anyone look at this show and go, yeah, this really isn't worthy of my time. (laughs) Right. This is amazing, amazing stuff. And it's like, it's almost too good, you know, because then you start comparing movies to this and you're like, eh, that wasn't as good as this part in, uh, in Clone Wars. I mean, it's absolutely worthy of being called Star Wars and of being something that people watch and, and enjoy as part of their Star Wars journey. You know, this is amazing stuff that we're seeing here. And what I thought was interesting and maybe a revelation about Maul is that he doesn't try to finish Obi-Wan after his brother is disarmed, Robbie. <laughs> Yeah. He chooses to throw Obi-Wan down the tunnel and to block Obi-Wan from coming back to re-engage. So we see that Maul's thirst for revenge against Obi-Wan and against the Jedi is not at all costs. He prioritizes his brother's health, his brother's life over his own thirst for revenge. I thought that was a real interesting thing to learn about Maul. And that's what we learned about him in that moment. That's how I read it anyway. Do you feel the same thing? Well, I feel like it's more about that he needs Savage for his plans to work. I don't think it's a love thing or a caring thing. You know what I'm saying? It's, I can't do this on my own. I need him. And he's, again, I mean, the whole time. I mean, even when Obi-Wan shows up, he's saying too soon. Yeah, right. Because his plan isn't where it needs to be. So I feel like it's more of a pragmatic decision there. You know what I'm saying? Right. But that is still kind of, I mean, for me, at least it was a revelation because I had felt like his thirst for revenge was focused on Obi-Wan. And now, if there was any doubt, about what the real focus is it's the jedi in general he's willing to forego the opportunity to kill obi-wan who's right in front of him who you know he's he's wanted to get obi-wan alone like this so many times i'm sure he's been dreaming about it right now he has obi-wan kind of right where he wants him in a way you know i mean there's no other jedi around to save obi-wan now but he decides that his plans are more important than just his revenge quest for obi-wan yeah and so they try to make their escape and now I'm sure by now everyone knows that you are not a fan of when Force users are superpowered. You don't want to see Force used to throw at-at walkers. Should I call them AT-AT walkers, Robbie? I know that some people don't like hearing them called at-ats. We don't want to see the Force used to throw AT-AT walkers or ships around. So how did you feel about what Maul does to Obi-Wan's shuttle? Force pulling that shuttle off that cliff and into the path of the pursuing pirates, especially since Maul did it while injured and was having a really bad day, basically operating at less than full power. He force pulls that shuttle, drags it along the cliff while escaping and pulls it into the path of the pirates. Was that kind of over the top for you? You know, it's funny because I didn't think about that at all watching the episode. I guess it's because... Look, I think anything I say here is almost going against what I've said before. You know what I mean? Because it's... <laughs> I don't feel like I can... Uh... I wasn't even trying to trap you. I just thought you would have made the same note. This is another thing where I was... You know, I thought about you during the episode and I thought, ah, 
I wonder if Robbie likes this bit, you know, because, uh, you know, we've talked, I've listened to you talk about Star Wars for 15 years and I've heard you talk about this stuff so much and you and I have talked about it so much and so often I find during an episode I'm thinking, I wonder what Robbie thinks about this bit, you know, and that was a bit that I thought that. I guess it's just because it's so sloppy. Right. It just didn't seem like a, that big of a deal. I mean, I could argue and, and kind of, uh, not argue, but I could kind of rationalize it. Oh, it's just a shuttle. Right. I guess what it is is I don't like that stuff being displayed without some restraint. You know, I didn't feel like that was so crazy. He basically just nudged it enough to where it fell off. I mean, it wasn't an elegant way of using the force at all. So I didn't have that much of a problem with it. But the idea of pulling, you know, a Star Destroyer out of the sky, that's a little too much. Sure. <laughs> sure. You know, it's just not my thing. But I didn't have a problem with this. Uh, like I said, I didn't even think about it. You know, it didn't even cross my mind when, when I was watching the episode. Yeah, I just like the way that he was, you know, he had to put a lot of effort into it because he had to drag that thing along the ground, you know, so there's all that friction that he's fighting. He's not just moving a massive heavy thing. He's fighting friction because he doesn't lift it. You know, he drags it and drags and drags and drags along that cliff top and then eventually topples over. And, you know, it's definitely a lot bigger than an X-Wing. I mean, before this point, the biggest ship that we'd seen anyone lift was Yoda with the X-Wing in the swamp of Dagobah, you know. So, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess one of the other things about it is that, and this is kind of a storytelling thing that you and I have talked about before, not on this show, but just a general storytelling thing that it's kind of more acceptable when a villain does something that feels convenient or that feels overpowered because in good drama and especially in good drama that involves heroes anything that makes life harder for the heroes is generally a good thing and so we don't want to see convenience help the heroes because that's the opposite of good drama but in this case it's the villains making things harder for the heroes so i think that's another reason that it kind of works it works as a dramatic use of the force i don't know does that make any sense it absolutely does and yeah, it's it absolutely, I feel like it does work better that way. It's so funny how in my kind of quest for knowledge, you know, reading a lot of people's thoughts on Star Wars, there's a lot of things that I just never thought about before. This is one of those things where I feel like convenience is something that you're absolutely right. We almost dismiss it. It's not that big of a deal when the villain does it, but when the hero does it, we really criticize it. And it's I think it's an important distinction in storytelling. So yeah, I completely agree with you and i think it's it's so funny that you it's almost like you're pointing out in a good way the kind of that fallacy in my logic you know and it's an interesting thing where if i can have a problem with some jedi lifting up a a ship or maybe preventing a ship from taking off <laughs> right it's really funny it's really funny that i didn't even think about it in this case i didn't even consider it and it's good to, to point out some of those things well i mean one of the reasons that i did think about it is because you and i are basically on the same page with this neither of us are really fans of the idea of jedis being superpowered or being superheroes so it's because we are really kind of on the same page and because that moment didn't bother me but it felt like it was right on the line and so i wondered mm. where it was on your line you know because i didn't feel like it was a problem and i've sort of laid out why you know and so I figured and so I wondered if it was over the line for you because I thought you know maybe it's right on it was interesting that it didn't even occur to you so yeah this is one of the reasons that this stuff is always fun to talk about and like you just said you know you've re you read a lot about it and there's all these different opinions about it, especially the most recent two Star Wars films or at least the most recent two saga films you know it's fascinating to see and to learn about what everyone else considers is true Star Wars or whatever and you know it's one of the reasons this is always fun and speaking of fun Robbie we get this scene right at the end 
where Obi-Wan says to Palpatine, I mean, <laughs> we've just referenced the scene from The Rise of Skywalker when Rey and Kylo are basically playing tug of war, force tug of war over a ship. And this also made me think of The Rise of Skywalker. Obi-Wan says to Palpatine, everything we've learned from this is that the Sith are persistent. They will not die. Yeah. I love the Robbie. What timing. The timing of us doing this mission, doing this project, and, you know, here we are, you know, it's about three weeks or whatever after The Rise of Skywalker came out, and I get to see this line, and I don't know if you remember this line being in it. I'm, I mean, it's... No, I didn't. It's not necessarily a line that probably stood out to you the first time you watched it, but when you watch this episode now, in the wake of The Rise of Skywalker, and Obi-Wan says to Palpatine himself, everything we've learned from this is that the Sith are persistent. They will not die... <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. I just thought this is the force has willed us to be watching this show at this moment, you know, and this line comes out. Just put a massive smile on my face. I'm smiling right now just bringing it up. And then, of course, we get after Palpatine dismissing the Jedis. And this is something that I had been thinking about. What would Palpatine think about Maul being back? You know, his former apprentice. And we saw in a previous episode that Ventress feels the disturbance in the Force. We see that Yoda feels that there's a big disturbance and that Maul might be back. I think we see that Dooku felt that Maul might be back. So we kind of have to assume that if they all know, then Palpatine knows that Maul is alive out there somewhere. And of course, after Palpatine dismisses the Jedis, declares that Maul can no longer be considered an official matter for the Republic. We end the episode on Palpatine alone in his office with that classic, delicious Palpatine smirk slash grin. He's just looking very, very pleased. Robbie, how did you like this last scene in Palpatine's office? I mean, Number one, yeah, that line by Obi-Wan definitely takes on new meaning now. But uh, yeah, that whole scene was just a lot of fun. Like you said, it's almost that delicious story building, character building. And that's one of the things that I'm glad that they brought him in at the end of this here. Because it is absolutely true that Palpatine is feeling Maul, you know, being back on the scene. And that he's causing a ripple in the force that's so strong and so disturbing, you know, to the... I guess the the wavelength of the force that, yeah, you know Sidious, or Palpatine, whatever you want to call him, you know he's back. Man, it's so much fun to see. It's just like what you say before, how some of your favorite scenes are when characters talk about other characters to other characters. Yeah. Because you get an idea of what they're thinking. And here, yeah, you don't know what that means, though. You don't know what that sneer means yet. But you know that he's aware of it. And you know that it's almost like, you know, with all of this planning and all of his devious, you know, chess playing that Palpatine does, he enjoys this. And that's one of those things that's just, that's why he's one of, you know, there's a lot of people that say Palpatine is their favorite because of this. And he wouldn't have been his favorite (laughs) if it weren't for the prequels. So you kind of have to give the prequels a nod in this case. I mean, yeah, I mean, they've got their problems, but man, they've given us some great storytelling and some great characters. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't argue with anyone who says that Palpatine's their favorite Star Wars character, Robbie. And speaking of things that are our favorites... We need to talk about our favorite shots from the episode. What was your standout shot of Revival, Robbie? It's so tough to pick because, well, I mean, it's tough to pick an individual scene or an individual shot. That whole Obi-Wan fight at the end with him with two lightsabers, of course I'm going to pick that. It's so awesome. It's so great. I just, uh, yeah, smile on my face the entire time. I mean, it's awesome. But I will say... 
that you missed one of Hondo's lines that I really like. Oh, I stopped writing Hondo's lines down because I thought, man, I'm going to write every line down because every line's cold. But I'm glad that you wrote all of them down. Let's hear one. It was the when Maul says insolence and he goes insolent or he says, we don't even know what that means. I just, <laughs> uh, it was almost like they said, well, it seems like people really like Hondo. Let's give him Hondo at 160% because man, he was on in this episode. It's like almost everything he said was hilarious and that lovable Hondo stuff. So maybe this can kind of give you an idea of why uh, <laughs> I didn't find him to be uh, there. Like they're not going to go full villain for Hondo. He's too good. And he's too lovable that they'll just never allow him to go full. I mean, he may, uh, he, he may, uh, why can't I think of the word? He may give his own men the order to go and get some crystals from some kids and don't worry about if the kids get killed. Right. Is that what you were thinking of trying to say? He may suggest that he's a bad guy, but they're not going to let him go full bad guy. Right. You know what I'm saying? That, and I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to. And also, he lives on Florum, and we've talked so many times about how Florum is kind of cheating when it comes to cinematography, because it seems like it's always magic hour there. You know, it's always that golden light, and there's that long, long shot at the end of the brother's ship falling out of the sky while Hondo and Obi-Wan watch, and that was a contender for the shot of the episode, but I really couldn't choose any other shot for my standout shot of the episode than that reveal of Savage's arm lying on the ground, detached from Savage, with green smoke or steam or magic fumes or whatever coming out of it that moment i sort of sat up i mean earlier in the episode seeing adi galia die knowing that adi galia had been taken out i mean obviously you don't see her die but that moment in that fight when she gets taken out i was rooting for obi-wan even harder in this end fight for him to do some real damage to savage and when he did that and i saw that arm laying on the ground for a second i was thinking wait he didn't did he and so that's my favorite shot of the episode super satisfying moment Savage doesn't fully pay for what he did to Adigalia but you know he's gonna have a few bad days I guess until he gets back to Mother Towson I don't know don't comment on that Robbie no I'm hoping they're going back to Mother Towson for repairs but you know I don't want to know per se because I haven't watched the next episode yet but before we bring this one up for a landing Robbie we need to sum up we need to give our rating so after your third ever watch of Revival how did you like it and where does Revival sit on that four star Robbie scale I mean, for this, I mean, I have to give it like a three and a half out of four. I feel like there's a couple of things that, and it's not even something that's like super tangible, but it's just not quite on the level of some of the my favorite episodes in the series, but I enjoyed the heck out of this one. And, and, and I mean, you got Hondo being Hondo, you got Maul being devious, you got Obi-Wan being awesome, and you have that Palpatine sneer at the end. That's one of the best shots of the episode, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is just an all-around great episode. So, yeah, three and a half out of four. Yeah, this is one of those moments when the limitations of my own rating system, limitations that I put on myself, to be clear, the fact that I don't do fractions, you know, I don't do decimal points. I'm giving this nine traitorous pirates out of ten, but it's not one of the higher nines. It's one of the lower nines, but I can't just give it an eight because... I enjoyed it more than an eight, so I'm giving this a nine. It's definitely in my top 15. Maybe it's in my top 10, nudging into my top 10. I don't know. I, I had a heck of a fun time with this episode. And, 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 you know, when it's time to do a rewatch, I'll be really looking forward to seeing it. And until then, that's mission accomplished for season five, episode one, Revival. So, Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know if they want to tell us how much they loved seeing Obi-Wan dual world against the Zabrak brothers. What are our communications channels? We are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail. Twitter and Instagram. That's B U C H O A N D 
R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir, and of course the troops can join us again next time for the 102nd episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars Chronology. It's Season 5, Episode 14, Eminence. And until then, this is your old buddy Bucho, alongside your trusty pal Robbie, and we salute Master Adigalia, and we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing this show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.